Well, this morning uh, we are moving into uh, the book of Acts. We've been working our way in our summer in the scripture series, first through the book of John and then uh, now in the book of Acts. So this past week we were reading through Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Uh, this coming week it's Acts 7 through 10. Uh, and there's just a lot of great things that we see as we're reading through uh, the book of Acts. A lot of ways that, that God shows up, uh, a lot of ways that God works through his people. And I believe the same God who is God there and Acts is still God now, still wants to work within us, still wants to work through us. Uh, and so as we are, are preparing to read here in Acts chapter 3, there's a couple of things from these first six chapters uh, that I just wanted to highlight real quick. A couple of things that stood out to me. Uh, and, and the first one is this, and it's, in, uh, it's that the people in Acts, those followers of Jesus, were people who were committed to prayer. I mean, prayer was a central aspect of their lives as individuals uh, and who they were uh, corporate. It, it shows us the power of prayer. Uh, in the very first chapter of Acts, after Jesus ascends into heaven, you got the uh, 11 disciples, about 120 people all together. It says that they constantly devoted themselves to prayer. Right, the, the 10 days between Jesus' ascension and the Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit comes down and fills the people and floods the place, uh, they are praying and praying and praying, constantly devoting themselves to prayer. And the prayer didn't end there. Uh, a little bit later on, we read in Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter and John uh, have broken out of prison. They escaped prison, which I think that's a really interesting part of our Christian witness that we miss out on, the escaping prison part. Uh, we don't see that too much in the 21st century. Uh, I think that's, there's something there to that. Uh, but that, was, that didn't go over well. That was a bad, that was a bad show. Don't go to prison if you can. If you can. But <laughs> Peter and John, uh, they're in prison. Uh, and because they're sharing their faith, because they're going around talking about Jesus, because they're going around and, and people are being healed in Jesus' name, so they throw them into prison to try to get them to stop, to try to get them to go away. Uh, and so God sets them free, delivers them, and they go back and they begin to gather with these people again, and they pray and what they pray for is boldness, that they can continue to witness even more to what God is doing, to not be worried about what other people are going to say, to not be worried about what trials or challenges might come their way, but that they could be found faithful to Christ. Prayer is a central part of who they are. And uh, I want that to be something as our church uh, that becomes a central part of who we are. Uh, that's part of why we're joining with our Portuguese speaking friends. Uh, midnight might be a hard time for a lot of people, but uh, it's that sacrifice. Of getting up, of staying up, of dedicating our time to the Lord in prayer. And we'll set up some other times that aren't so late at night down the road and in the future. Uh, but we need to be a church uh, that is prayed up at an individual basis, that is praying together as a church, seeking God and longing for the Holy Spirit's work among us. Uh, and the second thing that I just wanted to highlight from this past week's readings. Uh, real quick, is from Acts chapter 6. And in Acts 6, there's some disagreements that emerge among the people. All right, uh, some people are say, you know, well, hey, you're not taking care of our widows. You're only focusing on, on this group. You're not taking care of us. You're only taking care of them. And, and so the apostles, the, the 11, the 12 that are there, they, they start to say, you know what? Uh, we feel that what God has really called us to is to preach and to teach and to lead in prayer. That's what God is working within us. So we need to raise up some people who are going to lead the way and helping to care for all the people, all the different people in need within our church, within our community. And so as they are seeking these seven people to take the lead, it says they look for a few things within them. They look for people who are full of faith, people who are full of wisdom, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And I think there's something beautiful to this because uh, as they're seeking to, to figure out who's going to help distribute food to people in need, the first thing that they look for is not people who have previous food handling experience. Right? The, the first thing they look for is not people who can put together a spreadsheet and keep track of who has need and who's doing what. The first thing they look for is people who are filled with faith. People who are full of wisdom, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it reminds me of something I've heard a, a number of times. It says the greatest ability that God looks for whenever he's calling people, whenever he's inviting people to step out and to serve and to lead, the greatest ability that God looks for is availability. Right? It's not about what past skills or past experiences you have. It's about being able to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow your lead. Yes, Lord, I'm going to follow your call. Whatever it is that you're asking me to do, I'll learn the other things that I need to learn, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to step out in faith and follow you. Skills can be learned, but a heart that put God first and is willing to say yes to his call is the start. I believe if our church uh, wants to make an impact in our community, if we want to continue uh, to impact this community, if we want to continue to make an impact for God's kingdom and the world around us, then these are things that uh, it's going to take. We're going to have to be a people who are prayed up, full of faith, full of wisdom, filled with the Holy Spirit, and willing to say yes when God calls. And so if you've been feeling uh, a nudge of the spirit in your life, if there's something that God is working within you, inviting you to take a step out, I'd love to talk with you about that. I'd love nothing more than somebody say, you know what, I'm not sure what it is just yet, but I think God wants me to do something. We can figure that out together. We can pray about it and we can seek God's face and we can figure it out. And so I'd love for you to send me a message uh, because there are a lot of things uh, that we can do together for the good of God's kingdom in our community. And so our scripture reading this morning, though, uh, it comes from Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 1 through 10. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me there. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Uh, something to keep in mind as we read through the book of Acts. Uh, is some, of the, some of the words that begin the book of Acts, some of the words of Jesus to his disciples. He tells them, he says, When you receive uh, the Holy Spirit, you will be filled with power, and you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, you know, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we see taking place. The rest of the book of Acts is really showing how what Jesus said is coming true. As you read through the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see the, the good news of Jesus being spread. First to Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Tamaria, then to the ends of the earth. You'll see the disciples living and walking with the power that comes from the Holy Spirit at work within them. And so as we're reading here in Acts chapter 3, uh, we see Peter and John living as witnesses for Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're in uh, Acts chapter 3, beginning here in verse 1. It says, One day... Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, 
But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And we say thanks be to God. And you can kind of, as, as you read the story, you can kind of visualize this as it's unfolding. This, this guy who's been lame since birth, who sits outside the entry into the temple so that he can ask for alms. I mean, being lame uh, since he was born from the very day that he started means that he's never had the ability to walk. It means he's never had the ability to work, uh, to provide for himself. Uh, it means that for his whole life, he's had to rely on others in order just to survive. Uh, they didn't have disability that he could apply for and get, you know, government assistance. Uh, There wasn't some sort of governmental social service that existed for them. But in order to receive the things that he needed on a daily basis, he had to go sit outside the temple and beg and and depend on the generosity of others for, for food, for money, for anything that people would give him. I know the Jewish faith, much like the Christian faith, calls for people to care for those in need, to give to those who are in need. I imagine for him it had to be a difficult thing to sit out there and just ask on a regular basis for help. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who, who likes to receive help. I mean, if I've got something and somebody does something for me, it's the hardest thing in the world for me to just receive that help. It's even harder to ask for it. Uh, my first reaction most of the time, if I'm talking about something and somebody says, oh, well, let me, let, let me help you with that. It's like, oh, no, I got it. You don't need to worry about it. Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of most of the time the way that we respond to things. I've, I've had to learn how to even receive somebody, uh, you know, taking me out to lunch. Because there's this instinct that says, no, no, wait, I've got it, I've got it. You fight over the check for a little bit. And I've I've had to learn how to just say, oh, well, thank you. Thank you for that. There's something within us that that pushes us to where this this need to ask for help, this longing, this wanting help from others is, is not something that comes natural to us. It goes against something that's going on within us. And this guy has had to do this for his whole life. He's sitting outside the temple and he's had to rely on others for money, for food, for whatever it is that he has. But even more so, because he's unable to walk, he has to rely on people to take him to the temple each day and lay him there. He's got to rely on people who are going to pick him up each day and take him back to wherever it is that he is staying. His whole life is totally dependent upon other people. So when Peter and John are walking by, he looks at them and he's, he's asking for alms. It's all that he's ever known within his life. It's the things that he thinks that he needs the most is just somebody who's going to be a little bit generous with him today. Somebody who's going to offer him a few coins here or there that help him get by. Somebody who's going to put a dollar in his bucket. And so he says, you know, good day, sirs. Can you help me with some groceries? Can, can you help me pay my bills today? And Peter says, look at me. And the guy's getting excited, right? I think they're going to do something. I think they're going to give me something. I'm not sure what it is, but I think they're going to give me something. It says that he expected to receive. And perhaps he thought that they would give him a little bit of money that that maybe they saw in him this need and that they would do the right religious thing. 
Peter and John know something. They know deep down what it is that this man really needs. He thinks what he needs is a little bit of money. He thinks what he needs is is material. He thinks that his lot in life is to sit there and beg and that he's going to sit there and beg until he dies. But Peter and John know that God has something else in store for him. They have been prayed up. They are filled with the Holy Ghost. And they know that God has something more for this man who was born lame. And so Peter looks at him in the eye and he says, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. He takes him by the hand and raises him up. And the man begins to run around and leap and praise God and give thanks to God. And in the story, we see this man who's born lame thinking that what he needs is arms, that what he needs is money, that what he needs is possessions, but what he really needed, what he needed most was this encounter with Jesus. What he needed is this touch from Jesus to shape and to change his life. The thing that he needed most in this world wasn't a few more coins from people who were passing by. What he needed was this miracle that could only come through the touch of Jesus. Because of Jesus, now this man can walk. Now this man can run. Now this man can leap. Now this man can work. Now he can provide. Now he can help others. Now he's not the one who's begging, but he's able to give. Now he's the one who can point others towards Jesus and say, you know what? Jesus made a difference in my life. I bet he can make a difference in your life too. As I read this story, it just kind of hit me. But sometimes we can be a lot like this man who was born lame, sitting on the sidelines of life. And, and I don't mean that we're all out somewhere begging for bread, but, but a lot of times there can be a big difference between what we think we need in life and what we really need. It, it reminded me of a story uh, from John chapter 5. Right, Jesus is walking by the pool of Bethesda where the sick and the lame and the blind would sit and they would wait for an angel who would come and stir up the waters. And whoever was the first person that got into the waters would be healed. They would be made whole. Whatever it was that ailed them would be made better. They would be cured. And so Jesus is walking by and he sees this guy who's been lame and he's sitting there on the side. And Jesus looks at him and he says, do you want to be made well? I mean, it's kind of like a yes or no question. But this guy, he looks back at Jesus and he's not sure. He doesn't know who Jesus is. And he says, well, you know, I, I don't have anybody to help me into the waters. And if you're not first, you're last. He thinks what he needs is somebody to help him into the waters. But what he needs, what he really needs is this encounter, this touch from Jesus that will make him well. And so knowing what he really needs, Jesus looks at him and says, rise, take up your bed and walk. So there's a great temptation that we face in this world around us to always see our lives at a deficit, to always see ourselves in need of something more or something else. If I just had a different job, if I just had a different house, if I just had a different car, if only I had a a different spouse. Uh, I mean, hopefully that's nobody here, Uh, but uh, you know, we need a different doctor, a different diagnosis. What I really need is a good neighbor, somebody who's not going to shoot me when I get into an argument. I mean, what do we do in Port Charlotte? But if I could just have a little bit more time, if I could just be a little bit funnier, 
What I really need is a little bit more security. What I really need is, 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 is. And the list goes on and on and on. I heard there was a survey that was done one time. People from a wide variety of economic backgrounds. And the question was, how much money do you need to feel happy? How much money do you need to feel secure, to feel good about where you're at in life? And without fail, about everybody gave an answer that was about 10% more than where they currently were. It didn't matter where they fell on the spectrum. If they had just a little bit more, then they would feel good. Then they would feel secure. Then they would feel okay. And too many times we live our lives at a deficit thinking that we need all of these things so that we can have some sense of peace. Or I need all of these things so I can have a little bit of hope in life. I need all of these things so I just feel a little bit more secure. And what we really need is Jesus. But what we really need is that encounter with, that touch from Jesus. And you might say, well, well, pastor, I have Jesus. You need more Jesus. Right? I, mean, I need more Jesus. Right? I need more Jesus until I don't worry about anything else. So you need more Jesus until you don't have to run a, around worrying about what everybody else is doing and what somebody else has or doesn't have. You need more Jesus until you really have that peace and that joy and that hope that's offered to us through him until you have the power that he promises that you're going to have. You need more Jesus until you're running around like Peter and John saying, this Jesus guy made a difference in my life. And I know that he can make a difference in yours as well. We need more Jesus until we can sing that old spiritual that you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. There's a, a story in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 10, uh, Jesus stops to visit uh, with a family. There's a couple of sisters who are there, Mary and Martha. And Martha's running around and she's taking care of all the stuff, right? I mean, she's doing all the cleaning, all the dishes, all the preparations, all the cooking. She's taking care of everything, worried about all of the things. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and he's listening. She's listening as Jesus is speaking and Martha complains. Jesus, can you make her help me out here? What I really need, Jesus, is some help with the dishes, right? What, what I really need, Jesus, is somebody who's going to come and help me clean up all this mess. What I really need, Jesus, is somebody who's going to sweep and mop and, and take care of all these things. I need, Jesus, somebody who's going to do this laundry because it's not going to do itself. Right? What I need, Jesus, is this. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about all of these things. There's only one thing that's needed. Mary has chosen that. I mean, Jesus isn't saying that that everything's going to magically get better, that the situation's going to change. He's not saying that the dishes are just going to do themselves, that the food is going to cook themselves. He's not saying that all the things that we are worried about are going to go away. But he's telling us that if we take our eyes off these things that we think we need, these things that we think are going to make us happy and instead turn our eyes towards Jesus, we find all that we need in him. That if we turn our eyes toward Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, then all of the things of this world grow strangely dim. So we found the thing that matters the most, the thing that it is that we really need. A little later on, Jesus is visiting with the same Mary and Martha, their, their brother Lazarus. Uh, the story's in John 12, and it says while they're eating dinner, Mary brings out some costly perfume. 
she just begins to pour it out on Jesus's feet. And some of the other people there begin to complain and they're saying, you know, hey, why is, why is she wasting all this money? You know, this perfume that she's pouring out, it's, it's like a year's worth of wages. And she's just pouring it out on his feet. And then she starts to wipe it up with her hair. And so she's not only pouring out all of this money, but she's kind of pouring out all of her dignity as well. She's making a spectacle and it's not necessarily a good one. I mean, people are talking about her. They got a lot of things to say about Mary. She's pouring out this perfume and wiping and wiping it up with her hair. And it's not necessarily good things. But what Mary has decided is that all of these things that people might think about her don't compare to Jesus. I mean, Mary is living out this, you can have all the world, but give me Jesus. You can have the costly perfume, give me Jesus. You can have this year's worth of wages, but give me Jesus. You can have your sense of respectability, but give me Jesus. You can have whatever it is that you want. All I need is Jesus. Mary's saying she doesn't need other people's perceptions of her to make her something. She doesn't need the new whatever it is or the better version of that other thing. She's not worried about the court of public opinion or what her neighbors are going to say when she goes all out for Jesus. All she wants is him. All she needs is Jesus to honor him, to glorify him. All she needs is Jesus to have peace and security, to have hope, to have joy. And it's one thing to, to make the statement, give me Jesus. It's, it's another thing to live it out. But I truly want to be in that place like Mary where I'm living out, give me Jesus. To where I'm living it out that you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. To live this out, you know, give me Jesus by being willing to give Jesus everything. By being willing to surrender all to him, every part and every portion of my life, all the good that I think that I am and all the not good that I know that I've done, to be able to lay it at his feet. All the hopes and the dreams that I have, all the thoughts and the plans that I have, and to say, Jesus, it's, it's all yours because all I need is you. I want to give it all to Jesus because Jesus has given all of himself for me. And we can only say, give me Jesus, because Jesus has already given himself to us. In the greatest exchange in history, Jesus gave up his life so that we might have it. He was beaten and bruised for our sins. His body was broken for our healing. He died on the cross, taking upon him the death that our sins deserved. Then he rose from the dead on the third day offering us forgiveness, offering us life, offering us hope and peace and joy and the promise of life everlasting. Jesus gave himself for me and for you so that we might give ourselves for him. He offered us this redemption, this new life, the promise that we have in him. So you can have all these other things. We might think we need all these other things, but the one thing that is needed is Jesus, is a little bit more Jesus, a little bit more Jesus in my morning, a little bit more Jesus in my night, a little bit more Jesus all the day long. As I walk with him, as I talk with him, as I feel the power of his presence, the comfort of his presence, the strength of his presence, to know that whatever this world might bring my way, that I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. 
And I know that he'll do the same for you as you turn your eyes towards him, as you look for, as you long for a little bit more Jesus in your life. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, we give you thanks uh, that you have given us the greatest gift through your son, Jesus Christ, that you've offered to us this promise of life everlasting. That as Jesus has given himself to us, you have offered us salvation, you've offered us forgiveness, you've offered us healing. And so Lord, I pray that we might take hold of this promise that is for us and Jesus. And then in the same way that Jesus gave himself up for us, that we might give ourselves completely to you. That rather than being distracted by all the cares of this world, by all the, the, the challenges and trials that emerge within our lives, that we might be able to look and say, give me more Jesus. I need a little bit more Jesus in my life. That we might look to you to find our hope, our peace, our identity, our purpose, and our worth. We pray that as we look to you, that you truly would fill us to overflowing with your power and your presence. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.